0: Uh, We have a key scripture for this entire series. It's found in 2 Chronicles chapter 4. We'll put it on the screen for you. Excuse me, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land we're working from a premise that the United States needs a healing I don't want to raise my grandchildren the way I'm having to raise my my children I don't want to to fear that every governmental official has got something wicked scheme that they're plotting I don't want to live in a place where children are confused about their sexuality because liars have gotten, gotten in a place that should be sacred and safe I'm believing that no matter what policies we put in place or what leaders we elect, that if God himself doesn't intervene, that we're on a slippery slope to destruction. But I hold to a promise found in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people, are you his people? I'm his people. If my people, he said he started with the, he talking talking about the leaders, the president, the governor, the government. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves... Repent of their wicked ways. Seek my face. I will hear from heaven, and I will come, and I will heal their land. And so I'm believing for the God who is my God to do what only God can do, transform school districts, supernaturally heal communities that are shredded by violence and racial division. I'm believing that God will come on the scene as you and I humble ourselves. And so that is the premise of why we went into an entire series for the month of January on prayer and intercession. I taught you the first week that it really comes down to right position. If you play sports, you know that sports is about all about position. If you're out of position, you get burned. You can't catch a ball if you're in the wrong position. If you got a left-handed batter, if you don't shift over to the right, then you won't be able to hit, catch the ball whenever they pull it because they're going to pull it to the right. And so in baseball, you know to shift when a left-handed batter comes up. You know to get in right position in the batter's box because you've got a left-handed picture. You've got a picture that has a little more speed or has a little better curveball or something like that. You position yourself to be able to hit the ball, to be able to catch the ball, to be to defend against the wide receiver. But if you're out of position, then you cannot score, you cannot defend, you cannot protect. And God gave us clear position in this opening passage, and that is, number one, that you and I need to walk in humility. That's the first position. And number two, we need to walk in authority, that we are his sons and daughters. And so when we say no Satan, it means no Satan, and he has to stop, not because I'm good or bad, but because I'm his. Are you tracking? Say Yes. And so when I humble myself and walk in humility, repent of my sins, and stay in right position with the Lord, he does supernatural things. And then last week we we went into about his will being done. Many of our prayers are not getting answered because we're praying our will be done and we want his will to change to our will. And because we don't come into alignment with his will, nothing is happening supernatural in the earth. If my people, which are called by my, if we will humble ourselves, he will hear from heaven and will heal our land. But there's a contingency clause. We have to humble ourselves ourselves pray, seek his face. So in praying and seeking his face, the reason why many times our prayers don't get answered is because we're asking God to change his will to accommodate our will, thereby making us the little gods of the earth instead of him being the Lord of our lives. So you track and say yes. And so when you and I humble ourselves and say, I don't know what you want in this, but I want what you want. Whatever it is, Lord God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want what you want, Lord God. And as I come into compliance with your will, I know that there'll be nothing withheld from me. And as we jump in In today's teaching I've titled this subpiece, The Gap. Everybody say in the gap. We're going to be studying the book of James, chapter 5. We're going to look at these three verses in James, chapter 5. As you turn in your Bibles to James, chapter 5, as you open your Bible app and begin to get ready, because so, I want you to be able to highlight this, or if you're still killing trees and you're working with a paper Bible, as you get ready to, as you get ready to mark that, I want to give you a little, a little prelude to the book of James. The book of James is written by James, the half-brother of Jesus. And so, um, and, and so he is, uh, Mary and Joseph's son. Uh, in fact, most scholars point out that James didn't really believe Jesus was the Messiah until his half brother, Jesus was the Messiah until the day of Pentecost when he saw the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and he goes, all right, this thing is real. Okay, this is crazy. I mean, I imagine it was very difficult growing up hearing the story that your mom was impregnated by the Holy Spirit and not by your dad. And so he had this doubt back and forth. But as the early church exploded, James becomes if you will, the pastor of the church there in Jerusalem, which some believe over those 30-year period um, that it boosted somewhere between 50,000 and 150,000 members of the church in Jerusalem, even though they had been scattered, even though there had been persecution. James is, for the most part, uh, pastoring that. He writes this book of James somewhere around 60 AD. So Jesus has been crucified, died, uh, resurrected, and seated at the right hand of the Father for almost 30 years. By the time James writes this, this book of James. In fact, the church has been going for almost 30 years. So I want you to think about 30 years ago, where you were at in your Christian walk. The church has had many, uh, uh, you know, milestones in its growth. Lots of persecution, lots of misunderstandings, uh, failures within the church, moral failures within the church. Uh, people who said they were Christians who've now walked away and gone back to their old wicked ways. Face. People who were fake Christians who got involved and then and then only wounded the church. All of these things have transpired. And so this book, this book of James, is identified by most most scholars as a as like a proverb, like a New Testament proverb. So James doesn't write it as this eloquent letter, he writes it as statements of truth after almost 30 years of mega ministry of what the churches need to know. And he sends this book out, this letter, if you will, to all of the churches in the Roman Empire, all the home churches that are 200 miles away and 500 miles away. In fact, many times people would come and they would visit Jerusalem. The, the Christians would come and they would get to go to the mega church if you will. They get to go hang out with the with the, with the with the solid brothers of the faith and sisters of the faith from the very beginning. And James would give them this book and say bring this back to your church. Bring this back to your home church. Bring this back to your pastors and your elders. And so and in reference to these this book it's got all these like little bullet points of just straight up truth. Don't do this, do this. This is how you live for God. It is practical application to our Christian walk. It's not theoretical. It's not it's not flowery. And then the Lord, he just loves you and he just wants to bless you. It's very practical, which is my kind of book right there. Like show me how to do it and get out the way. That's kind of who I am. And so I love this book. And so when it comes to prayer and intercession, he gives some really Powerful insights on what our prayer life and intercession should look like, and it's real quick and it's real easy. So, turn with me quickly to James 5 and verse 13 through 15, and we're going to look at it. First off, he says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Again, who did this go to? This went out to all these home churches, all these growing churches, all these mini mega churches all throughout the Roman Empire. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord Jesus or in the name of the Lord. Verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. Let's start with his first little piece on prayer. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Is anyone of you having a hard time? Anybody got a relationship and you just suffering? You looking at her like, I want to kill her. I want to kill her. Anyone suffering? Anyone suffering with sickness in their body? Anybody going through something difficult? If anyone's going through that, then let me give you what you should do. Pray. It's not a suggestion. Is what you should do. If you're suffering, pray. Doesn't say go get to elders. Doesn't say go complain to everybody. Doesn't say go post about it. You yourself need to pray. Because this whole thing is about a connection with your God. Last week, I taught you about what prayer is. Prayer is just communicating with your God. In fact, I told you I taught you different ways you can communicate with your God. It doesn't always have to be serious. It can be fun communication. It can be, it can be intimate communication. It can be praising communication, but communicating with your God. You're suffering? Go to your God, the God who created you, the God who knows everything about you. You know the reason why I hate Ikea furniture? Because you can't do it without that stupid instruction page. Because those Europeans think different than Americans. Don't understand why they think you gotta turn, you gotta put this little thing down in a hole, hook this little bolt thing, and then turn this little thing this way, and then it it, it counterweights on this. Just give me a set of screws, and I'm gonna put that thing together. But not the way they think. And I can't do it without their little instructions. You cannot fix yourself. There is an instruction page about you and you only because you are unique. And the one who created you knows how to fix you. Are you tracking? with me say yes. So we're so busy trying to get someone else to tell us how to fix ourselves instead of going to the source. And so James says, let me help you guys. I'm going to give it to you real simple. If you're suffering, Pray. Pick yourself up and go talk to your God and pray. And and, and let me just ask you, has anyone in this room ever been suffering? Is anyone suffering right now a little bit through something? You're going through something difficult, then you should pray. Here's the problem, though. A lot of us like to suffer. It's our identity. It's fun to see you on sufferers on Sundays. How you doing? Well, pastor, you know, it's been one of them weeks. Really, that's the same thing you said last week. Yeah, you know, it's just a tough month. That's what you said last week. Well, it's a tough year. You said that to me every year for the five years you've been going this year. It's a tough millennial, Pastor. i just tell you. Because your identity is wrapped in your suffering. You like to suffer. And so you don't have any desire to get the cure for suffering. James gives us the cure for suffering. Pray. That's the medication. Pray. That's it. Not, 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 you know, fentanyl, not oxymoron or whatever stuff you're taking. Moron. Pray. That's the cure. Just pray. He says, start that. That is your place. But again, most of us love, and I, I got to be honest, when it comes to being sick, I'm a sufferer. I, I, it's because my grandmother co-raised me for a little small season in my life when mom was a single mom. And uh, she's at World War II generation. And, uh, you know, you cut the end of your finger off and she just put methylate on it. Anybody know what? I remember methylate? Some of you older guys, you younger guys, that's why you don't have cancer and we all do. I mean, this methylate stuff, this red stuff. We don't know where it was from. It was created in some Cold War war zone, you know, place in some out in Bolivia somewhere. And it's it's got some kind of chemical agent in it. But pop would put methylate on anything. I'll never forget getting chiggers, and they put me in the bathtub in Clorox. Now surely, that is not the right medication, right? But that older generation loved to suffer. They just suffer, and they suffer on through. That's why we like them, because they just, it's tough, you know, never complain, just, oh, it be alright. They don't go to the doctors, because doctors are the devil, you know, and we just love this. So I have a little bit of that in me. I have that little, so I'm just suffer through, so anytime I get a cold, or anytime I get any symptoms, my wife starts trying to give me medication. I'm like, no, that's okay. No, that's okay. My mama will call me, have you taken such? A-? No, that's okay. I'm going to be alright. right. I'm gonna. In fact, this last week, I woke up Tuesday morning on the way to work and, all of, and I had 102 fever. Woke up. Boom. Had 102 fever and I'm I'm, I'm I'm shaking, and I can't stand straight, but I've got that old school in me, like, praise God, we're going to tackle this thing, and and then all of a sudden, I realized that everybody's scared of dying of COVID, and I might now be a carrier of it or something, and so so then my wife comes in. She goes, you okay? I said, I don't know. We took my temperature 102. She's like, you're dying, and so get in bed, and so I got in bed, and you know, I started, I, I had, I felt like someone was taking um, staples, like a staple gun, and just shooting them into the side of my head, and my forehead, and. Everywhere, and so and so, I laid down. I passed out. I took a little bit of Nyquil, that kind of thing. And for the entire next, uh, I don't know, 18 hours, I was miserable. But I remembered that my pastor, who's at my church, has been preaching on prayer and intercession. And I remembered that if if that pastor's preaching on that and I'd be hearing his messages, I better put some of that into place. And so I said, you know what? I'm not going to be like that. I'm going to wake up in the middle of the night and I'm going to just start praying. So I woke up and I just said, God, I'm suffering. I need you to heal me. And I felt like all heaven shut down and said, we're out of office today. Call back tomorrow. And I kept praying and I kept hearing nothing. And I'm telling you, then I started having like you started having. I started having panic attacks because I lost a friend that Pastor Ricky at Covenant Church, who got COVID, went into the hospital, died, and now that church doesn't have a pastor, and they had to bring in someone else. I have a friend. I'm a friend of the Daystar family, where where uh, Marcus passed away of COVID. So I start having these panic moments that Hill City is going to be without a pastor, and my wife's going to be without a husband, and my kids are going to be without a dad, because I'm going to die from this stuff. I better go get on some kind of, you know, drugs or something like that. And I'm having all this panic, and I'm going back and forth. And all of a sudden, I just stood up. Nobody was at the house, and I said, no! No. No, sir. I'm God's man. Lord, if you kill me, you're going to kill me, but I'm going to pray this thing through, and I'm going to take the medicine of heaven, and that's why I'm going to start with prayer. I'm not against any kind of earthly medicine, but I'm going to at least start with the medication. If you're suffering, you should pray. Instead of sitting there suffering, like, woe is me, this isn't fair, my life is so bad, how can this happen? I'm a godly man, I just can't believe, God, that you've abandoned me. I just straightened myself up, straightened my attitude up, and in the midst of my suffering, I started praying. And within 24 hours, that thing broke. And then all of a sudden, I'm standing up, I'm like, I wanna tell you how to be a man of God. I wanna teach you guys the biblical truths of power, of power. I would love to say it was because I was such a great prayer warrior. I think I might have just had a 24-hour flu bug. I don't know what it was. But it was gone, and I felt the courage of God. Are you track it? with me? Say yes. See, you and I need to do what the Word of God says. If we're suffering, we should pray. Pr- pain is always an invitation to pray. If you're in pain, then you should pray. If you're suffering, you should pray. Pray. See, Pastor, I'm suffering all the time. Then you should pray all the time. If you're suffering through something, you've got pain, and so we should find you praying all the time. You'd be driving through work. Lord Jesus, I just thank you right now that you're healing this situation with my son. I thank you right now, Lord God. This is, I'm suffering because of what I'm seeing him go through. God, I thank you that no weapon formed against him will prosper. All those that rise up against him shall fall. And all red light and Lord I just thank you right now I'm not wrecking this car because then my son won't have any way to get to work so I just think and you just pray 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 and then he moves on from if your issue is your suffering then you should pray and then he gives us this next little truth again I love that he just gives us these little bullet points of truth and then he goes and then let him pray is anyone cheerful then let him sing songs so if you're not suffering then you should be singing songs You're either praying because you're going through something or you're praising because you're not going through something or because you've overcome something. I love that James lays it out this simply. He goes, listen, you either need to be praying through that or you need to be praising through that. God, you've been so good. I thank God. I'm praising. I was suffering Tuesday. By Wednesday, I was praising. I was praying all day Tuesday. By Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and today, all I've been doing is praising. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. And so you, and the reason, why is this laid out this way? Because he wants us to communicate with him every day. He wants to be in communication. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. If you'll just engage with me, I will hear from heaven. I'll heal your land. You'll know which way is the right way to go. You'll know which are the right decisions. I'll keep you out of bad business deals if you will just engage with me. If you're suffering, pray to me. If you're not suffering, praise me. And in that, you know what? My God wants to be with me so much that he's saying no matter what you're going through, I want to hear from you. I want to be in it with you. Come on. Those of us that maybe have, uh, you know, grown up a little bit and we had adult parents, you know, as adults we had older parents. Uh, You know, I did this uh, research and I found out that uh, parents uh, that are now grandparents in their 70s and 80s, they don't need to necessarily live with you. You're an adult. You've got your own kids. But you know what the surveys? proof they just want to hear from their children and their grandchildren they, they don't even care if you call them and tell them that you cut the grass today they just want to be involved in your life your God just wants to be involved in your life he just wants to be there with you and go through this thing with you and if you're going through hardship he wants you to pray and he's going to heal it fix it and solve it if you're going through uh, you're going through be- beautiful moments in life he wants you to praise him for what he's been able to do for you engage with so you're either praying are you praising? That's what your day should look like all throughout the day. I don't know if any of y'all ever had any of those old mamas in the faith in your life. But I've had a number of them over the years. In fact, when we first took over this facility, it came with a daycare. And uh, some ladies who had had the church before us uh, that, uh, w- you know, did not keep going, and we got this facility from them, uh, they had a daycare. We kept the daycare. And there was a sweet mama in the faith. And she'd been at this daycare for many years, a godly woman. And, uh, and she, she, one, of her, one of her jobs was that she loved cooking the food for the kids. And I'd go back past that little kitchen in the middle of the day, and I'd hear her in there saying, mm mm, mm yeah. You've been good, Lord. You've been so good. And I'd stick my head in there a little bit, and she'd have her eyes closed. Whoa, you've been so good. And she'd just start, and then she'd hit that off note, and then she'd hit that high note. And, and back and forth. And I would just sit outside the door and just listen to her because she knew how to praise. And then sometimes I'd go through there, and she'd be like, oh, Jesus, Jesus. Lord, you can't abandon me. Lord, in my time of trouble, you said if I call to you that you will come. And I just sit out there. I'm the pastor, and I'm listening to her getting encouraged. I'm like, Lord, yes, Lord, teach me faith like that. She had learned to praise in the cheerful times and pray during the times of sorrow and suffering. Are you tracking? Say yes. You know, I've had the privilege this week of interviewing a great man of faith, Bob Sergius, is his name. We're doing this podcast. If you had a little shameless plug, you should go check out our podcast on the real where I interview some of these great men and women of the faith and, and, uh, and interviewing this gentleman. He was a pastor, a worship leader, and 30 years ago, uh, it was found out that on his vocal cords, he had um, uh, an ulcer. And so they went to operate on it. And when the operation was done, whether the operation failed, whether the ulcer had already created the issue or what, he no longer could speak other than a whisper like this. So he's been a worship pastor and a pastor. And now he can't speak louder than this. And every time he goes to speak, it's excruciating pain. And he said, as we interviewed him, he said, it immediately shook my doctrine because bad things don't happen to good people. Christians don't suffer. We overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So he said, two years into this thing and this thing hasn't gone away and I'm not healed. And my church is flatlined because no one knew is coming to a church where. And he, as he testified on our podcast, he said it drove him to the place of prayer. You know, they say that mechanics have the worst cars, carpenters have the worst houses, pastors have the worst prayer life. Because we're so busy praying for everybody else, we don't pray for ourselves and our own families. And he said what it did was it drove him to the secret place. He's wrote multiple books This specific one that you'll see on the screen now, the secret place of enjoying God every moment of the day, of knowing how to pull away and talk to your God. It was from this place of not being able to communicate or to sing, his his identity being stripped from him. He said, after two years, he thought, surely God would heal me. After three years, surely God will heal me. After five years, he's now been 30 years. In 30 years of having this horrific, tragic thing happen to him, he said, I've learned the deep truth of prayer and secret place with the Lord. And he said, I've actually reached more people with the books and the few minutes that I can speak to people than I would have as a pastor in upstate New York. God, ask us that if we're suffering, pray. Pray if we're going through good times praise there should be this constant engagement my my adult daughter Mariah and her boyfriend Hank we at Hill City our leadership our core people who love Jesus we have a couple standards that we keep in place so that we can protect you and protect ourselves one of those standards is that we're never alone with the opposite sex This is how you'll know. Someone said, Pastor Adam did this. You can say, "Uh uh-uh, he keeps a standard. He's never alone with the opposite sex. So you're not going to get me some picture in a coffee shop with some woman. I'm all snuggled up. Not happening because I'm never alone with the opposite sex and so um my wife either and so and so my daughter uh her and her boyfriend you know doing college studies so forth and so on he's got his own place and uh, she's had her own place well there'd be times where there were guys at his place and they would start studying and then those guys would leave but they're in the middle of a project and so i would come home and to solve this never being alone but they couldn't move in that moment most time they just go get my, my, my youngest daughter make her sit there with them, but, but particular times they can't get her, she's off at practice or something like that. So I came home the other day, and my wife was sitting there working at her desk, and she's got her phone on speaker, and I come walk in, and I'm talking to her, and all of a sudden I hear my daughter from the speaker phone say, hey, Dad. I'm like, hey, you talking with your mom? No, 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 no. Hank and I have to be, uh, we're finishing up a project. we got 10 more minutes. And so I called mom, and mom's with us by way of speakerphone. I said, I'm sorry. And Jamie's like, yeah, so I can hear everything going on. And we were FaceTiming, and they'll just set the camera on themselves. And Jamie's on the other side working like that because they want accountability. The point I'm trying to make is, God wants to be on your speakerphone all day long. He wants to FaceTime. You can go about doing whatever you're doing, but He wants to be a part of that with you. If you shift your imagery from, I have to go pray to, I'm with Him all day long and He's engaged. Even though I don't see Him right here, and even though He may be there in my way of thinking, because He's not. He's always here. But even if you can just imagine in your own way of thinking and have a shift in your brain that He's with me and He wants to engage with me, I never act like Jesus isn't here. That's way, that way it'll help you overcome porn because as you go to click on it, you realize he's right here. And you're like, oh, I need some help. I'm about to dive into this thing right now. You got to help me right now. And you and I must understand that he wants to be there. So the only reason he's not there is when we shut the door and say, you're not allowed in this space with me. And so begin to think that prayer is less about going to engage instead of he's right now here, so let's engage. Keep the engagement going throughout the day. You're tracking, say yes. Come on, do you you believe that? Say yes. And then James moves into this last little piece. He says, and if anyone among you is sick, everybody say sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. And the Lord will raise him up. He moves from you need to personally take responsibility for the suffering that you're going through by praying. And then as you're having breakthroughs, in you need to rejoice, you need to praise. And then he moves into what we would call intercession. So if you're at a place where you can't lift it anymore, you need to get some help. You need someone to come stand in the gap with you, which brings me to a place of helping you understand what intercession is. And I would identify intercession as this, the action of intervening on behalf of another. The action of intervening on behalf of another. Um, You know, if you jumped out in traffic and you grabbed that turtle before that dude, that redneck behind you in his big four-wheel drive truck ran over him because you know that's what he was going to do. And you grabbed that turtle and you went and put him over in the grass. You interceded for that turtle. You got between it and death. You stood in that gap, that space, that space. And we would call intercession that space between God's answer and the devil's attack. The devil's attacking that brother, that sister. God's got an answer on the way But until that happens, I'm standing in that space of protection. In fact, the Bible identifies two personalities in Scripture that are opposing in reference to this. And we see, number one, that Satan or Lucifer is the great accuser. And Jesus is the great interceder or intercession. And let me just kind of break that down for you for just a moment. Jesus being the great intercessor and Satan, the great accuser, in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10, as this whole thing is wrapping up, it says that the, the people of God begin to rejoice because Lucifer, Satan, is being cast into the lake of eternal destruction. He's being destroyed. He's his end has come. And it says, the great accuser of the brethren, who goes day and night before the throne of God, accusing the followers of God and his holy children... See, I want you to understand, every day, all day and night, Satan goes like a a prosecuting attorney and stands before the judge, before God the Father, goes in and out. We see it in the book of Job, how he did it with Job, and he does it against you and I. He goes before the Father. He goes, look at him. He said he's a Christian. He's a liar. Look what he just did. How can you love him? How can you forgive him? He's done it from church to church to church, and he's doing it again. He's doing it again. He is not a real Christian. He will stab you in the back. You need to let me have access to him, and I will deal with him. That's what he did in the book of Job. That's what the Bible says he does in Revelation chapter 12. On the other hand, Jesus, the Bible says, is our great intercessor, our great Defense attorney, if you will. In Romans chapter 8, the Bible says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you and I. So as Satan's going, "Uh uh-huh, look at her. She's a liar, as she's always been and will always be. You cannot entrust her with your favor, because look what she will do with it, just like she did last time. On the other hand, Jesus steps up and says, wait a minute, she's mine. She's mine. Get your hands and your mouth and all your conversation off. Daddy, I know she's blown it, and I know she might even do it again, but I'm stood on that cross so that she would have opportunity to stand up every time and be forgiven. So I forgive her, and the Father says if he forgives her, I forgive her. Shut up and get out the way. But he does this day and night. He accuses you, and that's why you carry such shame, because you can hear his accusations in the back of your own mind and in your mind's eye and in the back of your head. You can hear the same thing he said around the throne of heaven. He's saying into your brain, and that's why so many of you say, quit, I can't do it, never mind, I blew it, I quit, I'm out. Because you'll listen to that voice before you'll listen to the voice of the intercessor. See, you and I have to choose whose side are we on. Because the moment you step onto the side of the great intercessor, you now have to be a great intercessor. It ain't hard to find somebody who accuses people. As a pastor, all day long, I have to referee you accusing somebody else and them accusing you. Oh, if I could just get the church to get on the side of the great intercessor. Oh, man. Let me give you a little truth to help you understand the difference. See, when someone does something wrong in the church or sins, we're supposed to call that out. That's, a, that's true. That doesn't mean you're an accuser. Let me tell you the moment you move from being a righteous individual into accusatory. Can I help you understand? Here it is. One of the key ingredients of an accusatory spirit is to apply wicked motives to wrong actions, thereby sealing the identity of the individual as wicked. Pastor, you you, you just went way too deep for me. All right, well, let me break it down what that person did was wrong and wicked. But then to apply that they are wicked, you've now sealed their identity. Now you've become a part of the accusatory spirit instead of the intercessory spirit. This is what real Christians do. We go, brother, that was wicked. You need to repent, but you're God's son. You're God's son. That's not who you're made to be. That's not who you're called to be. Don't give in to your sinful nature. Don't do that anymore. And I will stand here with you. I will punch you in the face if I have to to keep you from going back to that. But I love you. And Jesus died on the cross so you don't have to submit to that anymore. So you don't have to be like that anymore. Friend, this is what an intercessor does. Gets in between. It gets in between hell, death and destruction and heaven and the cause of Christ, and the calling of God says, "No, sir, I won't let you go down this path. I love you, I'll pray for you, I'll stand there with you. You are wrong. What you did is wrong. Get, let's get off of this path. let's go this way. This is the difference between intercession and accusatory. Oh, it's not you ha- we have to call out sin. We have to. That's wrong, that's broken. I don't care. I, listen, I, listen I, may, I, might be, I might not be your pastor. I might be in prison preaching to you because I'm going to tell them straight up, you're not going to tell my child that was born a boy that he's a girl. You're not going to do it. Sorry. God created him perfect in his image. Created her perfect in his image. Sorry. God bless you. Don't come to church anymore. Talk bad about me online. That's, uh, that, that's part of speaking truth in love. But I'd be doggone if I'm going to let any of you treat someone who's struggling with their sexuality, struggling with their identity as though they are a horrible individual and cannot be redeemed. We all can be redeemed. We're all redeemable. But you have to know truth to be redeemable. Right? And so this is the beautiful balance of the difference between an accuser and an intercessor. And so he says, listen to me, if you're struggling, you need to get some help. In fact… I would teach you that when you get to a place where you've been praying for something and you're starting to struggle like I can't, I need some help. That is when you and I need to understand the truth of getting someone to come intercede with us. And this is where your pride and your egotism gets in the way. And you and I need to learn this truth. I want to take you to this passage. Turn with me quickly to Matthew chapter 18, verse 19. I'll put it on the screen. He says, again, this is Jesus speaking. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything, the word is very clear. If two of you on earth agree about what? Anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. There is this powerful, and this again is from our first, for our first teaching in here, this word agreement, again, is that word in the Greek symphonio or symphono. It means a symphony. It's where we get our word symphony. It means to come into alignment. The reason why much brokenness is allowed to stay in your life, it's because you don't come into agreement, not just with the Lord, but with other brothers and sisters in Christ. The reason why you have difficulty in marriage is because you don't come into agreement with each other. I can disagree on how it needs to be done, but we can come into agreement so we can move forward. For example, the way my wife wants to do it, the way I want to do it may be different, and it may not, and and she wants to do it this way, she wants to paint it yellow, I want to paint it brown, but you know what? I love her more than I love the color, so you know what? I come into a agreement. Let's paint it yellowish. Let's do it. Because as I come into agreement, now we have power together. Are you tracking? Uh, you know, I, I told this story years ago. I was working with this family and uh, this, this beautiful couple, older couple in the faith, and they had a, had a, a, a child. Uh, she was an alcoholic and, the, and she had, they raised her up in the church, so forth and so on. And mama, you know, mama had that, you know, enabling thing and dad had that, you know, right is right And you got to let her out there to fail so she can maybe wake up one day like the prodigal son. And mom kept enabling and dad kept pushing. They weren't in agreement. And that thing continued to divide not only them, but continue to destroy this this young adult because they wouldn't come into agreement. which well, she should sit down and say, all right, now listen, what you doing ain't working. What I'm not, what I'm doing, is not, how can we come to agreement? So where you come into agreement, so when you're suffering through something, when you've got sick, when you got difficulty, you should find someone and say, would you come into agreement with me? Now, here's the problem. You calling so-and-so's online ministry, you don't know them, they don't know you. How can they have true agreement with you? This is what everybody wants to do because we don't want to be known by people. Right? And so I used, to, I used to man those hotlines, those prayer hotlines. They would call me, oh, sir, would you just pray for this, that, and the other? And I'd start asking them, well, how many packs of cigarettes a day do you, do you, do you, do you smoke? Well, that's none of your business. <laughs> well, if I pray for this, but you got this going, how are we going to get your lungs healed? Like, like what do you want me to do? Like, I can't come into agreement if you won't come into agreement. And so that's why we do small group life here. It's not because I'm trying to find a way to manage you better. I need you to have people that will come into agreement with you. So when you get under attack, you can say, hey, y'all get over here quick. I need some agreement. I need someone standing in the gap and standing there beside me and saying, no, you will not, devil. You will not cross this line. They may not have all the strength, but we got their back. We're in agreement. We've all agreed that he's not going to go back out with that old girlfriend who keeps texting. We're going to all go show up at her house and say, if you text him again, we're going to help you find heaven a little quicker. So you need a back-off girlfriend. He is married and happily married. Come on, some of y'all need to get some agreement people in your life. Some people that are stand in agreement with you instead of telling you everything you want to hear. You keep telling your mama the same thing and you've been through three husbands because your mama disagrees with you all the time. When she shouldn't be in agreement with you, what she should be saying is, no. No, you got a problem. Okay? No one can tell you what to do. And that don't work in a marriage. And so when you get some godly people around you, and you come into agreement, then nothing you ask from the Lord will not be given. It will be done for you, according by my Father in heaven. We have this beautiful moment in Acts chapter 12 where the church is young, it's new, and the ruling factions at the time, the Jewish people, there's a group of Jewish leaders who do not like Christianity. They feel like it's a cult against Judaism. And so, they go to the ruling Roman authorities and they say, these people are against our religion and they're, they're bad, they're terrible. And so the ruling authorities grabs one of the Christian leaders at the time and they kill him, put him in jail and kill him. And oh, the Jewish leaders of the time of that particular group was like, yay. So this made that Roman authority feel like, ooh, let's do it again. So he grabs Peter, one of the foundational apostles in our Christian faith, one of our great, 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 great Christian forefathers, grabs him, puts him in jail. Everyone knows he'll be dead by the next day. So he texts his church, or he sends a pigeon, I don't know, but he gets word to them that they've imprisoned him and they're going to kill him. They call an all-night prayer meeting. They go into intercession. They stand in that gap for him. They stand in that gap and they start praying for him. He is chained. They're so worried about some group trying to break him out. They got him chained between two guards and he's within like three cells deep. In a a prison cell, inside of a prison cell, inside of a prison, inside of another thing. All probably underground in those Roman jail cells like that. He's sitting there in the middle of the night asleep. And an angel taps him on the shoulder and says, come with me. Immediately, the chains fall off of him. Yeah. Yeah. The guards don't wake up. He starts following the angel. <laughs> the door's open. He, he thinks he's dreaming. He thinks he's having a, a vision. Read Acts chapter 12 at your own time. He walks out. That Another door opens. Next thing you know, he finds himself out on the street. Yeah. <laughs> the angel's gone. He kind of comes to himself. He goes, uh, well, I, I better go. Find the church. I wonder where they're at. He goes to Mary's house. He knocks on the door. He's got this little attendant girl. She, she talks to him through the, it's middle of the night. Who is it? It's me, Peter. Peter's in prison. No, no, I'm here right now. An angel let me out. Oh, okay. And she runs back to the prayer meeting. Leads him out on the street. Says Peter's outside. They say, like, no way he's outside. He's almost dead. They probably already killed him. No, no, he's outside. They don't believe he's outside. They keep praying. Finally, someone goes, well, maybe God did it. And they go in, and they open the door, and there's Peter. It's unfortunate when the people who are standing in the gap for you don't believe that God will answer their prayers for you. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a tough place to find yourself in. But the supernatural agreement of a group of people on your behalf, one of my best buddies in life, uh, when he was 16 years old, he was playing with a gun, and, um, and he accidentally killed his best friend. Actually, he was 15 when it happened. The, um, the, uh, one day I'll have him tell you the story. Um, the, the prosecuting um, attorney, uh, they decided not to prosecute him. They wanted to wait a year or so until he was 16 so they could prosecute him as an adult. In that time frame, Everyone at school hated him. It was an accident. Grew up in a Christian home. Mom loved the Lord. Drove him insane. Went into drugs. Walked away from God. They're gonna re-bring up the case a year and a half later. So the night before they're to go stand in front of the district attorney to review whether or not they're gonna bring charges or what type of charges. Meanwhile, The mother of his best friend said, look, I know it was an accident, it's horrible. I forgive you, not pressing charges. But the district attorney took it on because they wanted to set a precedence. And so he's backslidden, doesn't believe in God anymore. That's his story. Whether you believe in that or not, that's what he said. And his mom calls a prayer meeting with all her friends. They put him in the hot chair, and they all lay hands on him. And in the middle of that, the love of God overtakes him, he falls down on his knees and he and he repents of the the bitterness of what he's done, the hate self-hatred breaks off of him. And he just says, Lord, I throw myself into your hands. If I spend forever in prison um for this, then so be it. But I just don't wanna I don't wanna I don't wanna wanna kill myself anymore. God healed him in that moment. They prayed through the night. The next morning they went to the district attorney's office, district attorney who had been waiting for a year and a half till he was at that age and had been planning, you know, obviously to prosecute him, sat down and said, tell me the story one more time. And as he told the story, it was a female district attorney, he said she got big tears in her eyes and she said, I think we made a mistake here. You didn't do this on purpose. This was the deepest tragic thing could ever happen to a young man like you. And we're not going to prosecute you. You may go free. That gentleman, my friend, he understands the power of intercession. He didn't have strength to believe for himself. He was self-destructive and felt so shameful that he thought he should kill himself. But the prayers of people who loved him brought him through. Some of you are sitting here today because of the prayers of a grandma, of a, of a friend that brought you through. Intercession's not a game. You need to have men and women around you that will stand in the gap because I promise you there will be moments in life where you will not be able to pray yourself through, that you won't have faith for it, you won't, you won't be strong enough. And then in this final level, if you will, of intercession, James teaches us an even deeper truth. He says, and let the sick... He says, let the sick call on the elders. That word sick, actually, it's the Greek word Athenas, Athenas, and it means weary. It actually means weary. We translated it sick in English, but it'd be more like, I'm sick and tired of this dude. I'm done. I got no more in me. It actually translates out strengthless, weary, weary. Some of you got weary in 2021, wore out 2020. You didn't believe that God could restore black folk and white folk and Hispanic folk together. You got tired of believing that there could be justice. You got wore out believing that God would heal you. You got tired. You got wore out. And he says, and let me, again, I love how practical he is. It's it's. Dink, 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 like a medical doctor, like he ain't got time to fluff it for you. He says, call for the elders and let them lay their hands on you and anoint you with oil. And then he goes on and look what he says will happen because if you don't understand it in light of weariness and you think it's more like, you know, dealing with cancer or a bad headache, if you take that position, that's not actually at all what he's saying because then this would make sense. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith will save the sick. If I'm sick, I don't need saving. I need healing. If I have a medical condition. What he's talking about is the weariness. Where I don't want to go on anymore. Save you from your own destruction because you're tired and worried. He says, get the elders and listen how he picks who we should pray, have pray for us. It's very strategic what he's saying. It's very godly and it's, it, it, it's very spiritual. Get the elders. Get those who are a little further along in the faith. Don't call your girlfriend on this one. Don't sit around in the foyer talking bad about people anymore because you wore out. Get those who've been there done that. Not to mention, you can understand got to who did he send this to? Who got this book? Every home church all throughout the Roman Empire. It's written very, with a very specific audience in mind. Because every one of these churches had pastors and leaders and elders. And they may have been a church of only 50, may have been a church of 1,000. But all, every one of them, he said, get those who care for that flock. Get those who carry the vision of that house that you're a part of. Get those who are already in some phono With what God wants done in the earth for that congregation. Get them, don't get the person who's mad about this, that, and the other. Don't get the person who's quit and done this thing over here. Don't call the parachurch group over here who loves and doing great work. Get the elders of the fellowship that you're a part of, who pray for you day and night already in a general sense, and get the vision carriers and those who have been found faithful day in and day out, who've been through some things, who got some scars, but still are going forward with Jesus, who exhibit that which an elder, a pastor, a leader should have on their life. And and have not thrown the gospel off to the side to make money off of. Get the ones who are pure in heart and motive, and get them to lay their hands on you and pray the prayer of faith, and get them to take that anointing off. And pray. why is he talking about anointing off? Because as I understand it, the anointing of God that's on you to do what you're supposed to do. See, every one of you were made in fashion and fashioned and formed with a specific task to accomplish. You are created to solve a problem on this earth. If if not then why are you here? You might as well just go on through and get be done with it. But you have an answer to a problem. Your life exists. You are anointed to accomplish something. And when we get weary, we give up on that problem solving. We get when we get tired, it's like I don't even want to go on anymore. And what happens is our anointing, if you will, our calling begins to be affected and, and we no longer have to get up and go. We no longer have the strength to say, I can do this with God. And now all of a sudden we need somebody who's a little further along to say, come here baby girl, it's going to be all right." And when they lay their hands on us and they begin to pray the prayer of faith, the power of God should begin to manifest itself down into who we are. The glory of God should begin to resurrect the vision and the callings and the purposes of God inside of us. And all of a sudden the Spirit of the Lord should come upon us in a fresh new way and we can remember the former day and we can remember what God had prophesied over us when we were just a kid and all of a sudden words of knowledge and words of wisdom start coming forth and we say, let's go, let's go. I feel the glory of God again. And we awaken. Why? Because the weariness is broken off. Guys, if you hadn't gotten weary, then you hadn't been saved very long. If you've never lost your strength in God, most of the time when people lose their strength, they deuce it out. Instead of doing what the Word of God tells us to do. James didn't make a big deal of it. Call the elders. This past Sunday night, one of our team was real weary. They'd been believing for something. We were at their home, in a group of leaders, ministers. And uh, put them in the middle of the circle. We started laying hands on them. Man, we started prophesying. I feel the Lord wants me to tell you this. They're like, whoa. And all of a sudden, you could feel the life of God. Life of God. When we were done, they were following us out to the car. It was the greatest. It's the greatest. I'm <laughs> like, oh, okay. It's the power, though, of Symphono. They were in submission to this house, to the Lord the calling on this house by the leaders of this house had the ability to call off weariness. I can't spank your kid. I don't have a right to tell your kid what to do. I will because if they're around me acting a fool, I'll tell them. But it won't have the same impact as someone who has authority in their life, who loves them and knows what that child has been through. Know Know that that child really needs to hear it this way or that way. So when you're in a house and you're known in that house, Their prayers, their encouragement, their counsel should hit the mark better because you're known. And the spirit of death and destruction loses its power when we come into agreement. He says, and then whatever has been destroying them, the faith will save them, totally deliver them and set them free. Oh, my goodness, to be the church in this hour, to stand in the gap with our brothers and sisters have those that are pastors and leaders lay their hands on us and call forth the strength of God back into us after we've become weary, after we've fought just I can't do it and I can't pick my, can't lift my hand another day in church. I can't look over there across the aisle and believe in faith one more time. I can't sing that song. You sing it again, I'm going to punch somebody. I can't, I I don't want to hear it. Don't want to read it. Don't care a flying flip. It ain't true to me anymore because what I just went through, that the Bible says he he said, call the elders, let them lay hands on you. Oh, I'll never forget when the elders laid hands on me. I didn't want to be in ministry anymore because it sucks. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. I wouldn't. I, would not ask, I wouldn't ask any of you guys to be in the ministry. Uh-uh. And I was wore out, tore up, tired, tired of listening to everybody's problem, nobody wants to do what the Bible says. Can't keep my own self straight and you straight and everybody else. And I'll never forget they laid hands on me. The fire of God began to stir in me again. And I heard those prophecies from when I was 13 years old. I've called you. I've set you apart. I will not fail you. I will not abandon you. You will see the miracles in your lifetime that the apostles saw. You'll dream dreams and they'll come to pass. Man, after they finished laying hands on, and I wouldn't say they prayed anything so powerful that it blew my mind, prayers I'd never heard. They just, their agreement and the power in which they stood in transformed the heaviness. And all of a sudden, once again, the glory of God. Every now and then, when you get weary, you should get the pastors and leaders, of this church, and get them to lay their hands on you and say, pray the prayer of faith. I'm weary, I'm tired. I don't know if I can go on. Every Sunday, I ask people to stand up here as ministers to be available to pray for you. But if you're in that spot of weariness, you get about four or five of them. You say, pull me over to this side. Y'all lay hands on me. You prophesy, break this weariness. I don't have strength. I can't look, I can't go on with this marriage. I can't go on with this thing. I need, I need God. And friend, do what the Word of God says. You've been fighting this battle all by yourself. You need to get some brothers and sisters in Christ to come stand in the gap with you and be some intercessors. All you've been doing is talking to everybody about your problem. You need to start doing what the Word of God says. If you're in, if you're suffering, then pray. Start with prayer. If you're having breakthrough, then go into praise. If you can't do it by yourself, get somebody to stand in the gap with you. And if you're weary and exhausted and you can't go on any longer, call forth the elders, the ministers, the pastors of this church. Let them lay their hands on you. We have... We're not going to let you fall apart, but you got to do your part. Would you stand with me quickly all across the room?